Good morning, River West. Great to see you on this Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody going to watch the Super Bowl today? Okay, a few of you. Good. I want you to know I have no illustrations about football. I'm not going to say anything controversial about who's the greatest of all time. None of that's going to happen today, so it's good to be together. In fact, we're going to get into the Word together, so if you have your Bible, please pull out your Bible this morning. Open with me to the book of Colossians. We're going to go to the book of Colossians this morning, chapter 3. It's great to be with all of you in here in person, and great to be with all of you out there tuning in from home. Welcome to River West. While you're turning to Colossians 3, I do want to ask you to pray about something this week. Many of you have emailed and asked about um, how Nopum is doing and all the things that have been happening in Myanmar this week. So if you've been watching the news, you know there was a, there's been a lot of volatile things happening over there, a military coup. The military has arrested the president and sort of shut down democracy. They've turned off the internet yesterday. They turned off the news stations. It's very serious stuff happening in Myanmar. And the, the, the tragic part of this is we actually have missionaries that we were in the process of raising up from our church to go to Myanmar in the next six months. And it's really difficult to know when's the next time anyone will travel to Myanmar. And so just a very tragic time. So please pray. Pray for our friend and brother, Nopum. Um, he very rarely asks us to pray about things, but he, he emailed Christopher this week and just asked that we, the church pray for him. So we'll do that together as a church body. Um, and we're going to get into the book of Colossians, chapter 3. We're in a series. We, I launched a new series last Sunday where we're looking at our mission statement as a church. We have this profound, compelling, crystal clear mission statement that I believe gives us great courage and great clarity as we enter into a new year with so many new opportunities as a church to represent Christ in our community amidst all the things that have happened, we have this phrase that sort of drives us. We're building a community of Christ for the world. I love that statement. It's so helpful. And last Sunday, I spent the whole morning just talking about what do we mean by Christ the center? We have Christ at the center of this statement. What does that mean to be a Christ-centered church? And this morning now, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at that word community. What do we mean by a community of Christ, a Christ-centered community? So about a decade ago, I had a really interesting experience in my Bible reading. I was newer to the church. At, when I first came to River West, I was the pastor of community life. And I remember a day when I was sitting in my office praying and I I just started paying attention to the New Testament and I was asking the question, what percentage of the New Testament is devoted to giving Christians instructions about how they are to relate with outsiders? So sort of the emphasis on evangelism or outreach versus that percentage of the New Testament that's devoted to instruction to Christians about how they are to do community in the body of Christ. Have you ever thought about this? If you were to think about, and just think back to your own reading of the New Testament and say, what is the ratio? It's pretty astounding how much of the New Testament is devoted to telling Christians what to do in here. Like 90% of the exhortation and instruction is devoted to that. Not to say that God 
does not care about our relationships with the world out there, who we are as a church that's focused on evangelism, but it's as if to say God in his wisdom, he knows that one of the primary ways that we reach our world for the, with the gospel of Christ has to do with the content and the quality of our relationships in here. That will be the magnet that draws people towards the gospel of Jesus. And so we have this statement, we're building a community of Christ for the world. And we're driven by that statement, not because it's in vogue or because it's a catchy phrase. No, we're, we're, we care about community at River West because that is the predominant emphasis of the New Testament. And the reality is, church, I could have gone to dozens of passages today to study what does Christ-centered community look like. There's passages all over the New Testament. But I chose the one that I think is the most compelling, and it's one of my favorite texts. We turn there now, Colossians chapter 3. Our passage is verses 12 through 17. And I want to read it to you, but before I read it, I want to I point something out. What we are about to read is not a description of Christ-centered community. What you're going to notice is this is a prescription. So this is a passage about what the church is supposed to do. So notice that as I read. Here's what Paul said. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a spectacular passage. I love this text. Here's what I want you to know this morning. If our goal is to build Christ-centered community, if we want to build Christ-centered community here, which we do because we're building a community of Christ for the world, the Apostle Paul says we need to do four things. There's four things that a church must do to build Christ-centered community. Number one, put on the attributes of Christ. That's verses 12 through 14. Number two, be ruled by the peace of Christ. That's verse 15. Number three, be filled with the word of Christ. Verse 16. And then number four, lift up the name of Christ. Verse 17. I, I want to leave this screen up so you can pay attention to a couple things. Number one, what I'm doing here is... I'm not inventing anything. I'm just taking the text and showing you the four main commands in this passage. The exhortations are, in the Greek, very strong. There they are, four things. But also, are you noticing a pattern there? 
This is all about Jesus. Christ is the center. There's no such thing as, a, as community in a church that's not Christ-centered community. If it's not Christ-centered, it's not community and it's not a church. And so everything we're going to talk about has Christ at the center. And here's what I want to tell you this morning, my friends. Christ-centered community does not happen on accident. It never just sort of comes about. It's something we have to build. We have an opportunity. Our community has been through so much. Our city has been through so much. What an opportunity we have to build something together that's beautiful, that's compelling, that draws people to the glory of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says, you got to be intentional. You have to care about this. Every member has to be involved. Every member has to contribute. This is a family project. And it starts with how you dress when you show up to the gathering. <laughs> it starts with how you dress. Number one, put on the attributes of Christ. Now, of course, I'm not talking about your physical clothing. We'll get there. But did you look, will you look now at verse 12 when Paul says, put on then, and then he lists these traits. Paul's doing something really fascinating here. He is finishing up a metaphor that he started back in verse 9, which I'll show you in just a second. He says, put on, and then he lists these almost like these garments that the church should wear. And he started this metaphor back in verse 9. So will you look back there with me for just a moment? In verse 9, Paul had said, he said the following. Um, he said, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Paul's saying, Hey, church, you're a new creation. Earlier, he had said, you've been raised with Christ. You're new. And then in verse 12, Paul says, and you, you're chosen, you're beloved, you're holy. You are the objects of God's like divine love. And Paul says, what you need to do is you need to change clothing. <laughs> because you were wearing some things that represented your old identity, anger, lying, uh, jealousy, vitriol within the community. And Paul says, those garments, they don't fit anymore. <laughs> Paul says, it's time to change clothes. It's time to get dressed in a way that represents your, your new identity, who you truly are. I love that. It's such a powerful metaphor because the reality is every single one of us relates to this because we get dressed every day, or at least I hope we do, right? We get dressed, and when, you get, when you're getting dressed, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about, okay, what's happening today? I need to get dressed for the occasion. What's my identity? Where am I going? What's the weather like? You're thinking about things in your life, in your world, in your identity that dictate how you get dressed, and Paul would say, exactly. So what I want the church to do is think, think that same way as the, as, the, as the body of Christ. What a significant metaphor. I remember that when I worked for Young Life, before I came to River West, I would keep multiple changes of clothing in my car. Because my job was such that I would, I would go into all of these different kinds of settings. So 
in one moment I would be in downtown Eugene meeting with someone, asking them to contribute financially to Young Life, and I would often wear a tie, or I would, I would dress in a way to honor that person. How did they dress in their place of business? So I'd put on a tie, and then I would drive, and I would go to the high school and take high school kids out for lunch. So I would take off the tie, you know, put on something a little more slick and stylish and go to the high, and I would have all these changes of clothing. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, Who, what is your identity right now, church? What's your identity? And are you dressed for the occasion? We're building a community of Christ for the world. We want this community to be beautiful. We want it to be Christ-centered. And Paul would say, that means that the individual members need to show up to the gathering dressed like Jesus. Each and every one. Look at the list of traits that Paul lists. Can I point something out about these words? We look at them starting with compassionate hearts. He says, here's what you put on. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Patience. He talks about forgiveness, right? You got to forgive one another. You have to be patient with one another. And then at the end of the passage, Paul says, and, and over all of it, he, he, he almost uses the metaphor of a belt. Take love, which is like the ultimate trait, and you wrap that around like a belt that brings the whole outfit together. It's like the perfect accessory, right? <laughs> but think about, notice what's happening in this verse, okay? First of all, all of these traits are one another traits, in fact, you'll notice the repetition of one another over and over. So these are relational attributes. They're not hyper-individualistic. He doesn't say, clothe yourself with, with personal holiness or intelligence or self-control. All of those traits matter too. But what Paul has in mind here is the, is the community. What are the attributes that we need to dress in so that when we enter community, we can practice with one another things that make it Christ-centered. And Paul says, well, there are things like humility and kindness and meekness. You can't do any of those things unless there's someone else there to practice it with. I love this. And of course, too, when you look at that list of traits, you'll notice right away, all of these traits, these are the characteristics of Jesus. You say, who is the person in human history who modeled the perfect example of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness. It's my leader. It's my savior, Jesus. I want to imitate him. I want to be like him. That's my fundamental identity. Jesus has chosen me. Christ lives in my heart. And Paul would say, now get dressed in a way that represents who you truly are. It's, my friends, do you know what? It's time for some of us to change clothing <laughs> spiritually. We're wearing around some stuff that no longer represents who we truly are in Christ. And so Paul would almost say, take that inventory of, of things and, and, and ask yourself the question, what am I wearing today? Am I wearing anger? Am I wearing jealousy? Am I about to walk into Christian community wearing jealousy or divisiveness or anger? I was thinking about the fact that in a gathering of this, this size, 
Think about how much collective time we take to get ready just physically come, to come to church, okay? And some of us contribute a little more time than others, all right? But, but think about the time we spend picking an outfit, shaving, getting ready physically. Here's my question. Do we spend the same amount of time getting dressed like Jesus spiritually? Taking off things that would harm Christian community. Whoa. Am I withholding forgiveness from someone? Am I harboring anger rather than kindness? Do I need to ask for forgiveness from someone? Have I thought and prayed before I walk into my, my small group, the young adults group, the college group, my river small group? Have I, have I prepared spiritually to enter into that precious space that Christ died for? You say, Pastor, I go to community for what community does for me. No, no, no. You enter into community dressed like Jesus to help make it even more beautiful. Paul says, put on the attributes of Christ. Now, I can't even begin to unpack this, these, these two verses completely. So what I want you to do is take them home and meditate on them. This, this, these two verses, well, actually three, 12 through 14, I meditate on these four, three verses more than any other New Testament. And often before I'm about to enter into something that I know might be intense or complex, a relational situation or a, or a gathering of the community, I'll, I'll take these verses and I'll just meditate over them and, and almost look in a spiritual mirror and say, Adam, what are you wearing right now? Are you ready to go into God's community? So will you do that? This week, take these verses. That's number one, put on the attributes of Christ. Number two, be ruled by the peace of Christ. We look at verse 15 with me. Be ruled by the peace of Christ. Now what's happening here, Paul is talking about peace here in a way that we do not normally talk about peace. Because when we typically talk about peace, what we're doing is we're talking about sort of an inner subjective feeling. I'm at peace my inner Zen, you know, we think of peace as sort of this inner feeling, but this is not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about a peace that rules. Or another way to translate it would be it arbitrates. It has some authority. It's a, it's a metaphysical reality. It's a peace that is objectively true enough and powerful enough that it actually has the authority to dictate what happens within the body of Christ. This is really interesting. Paul had talked about this piece back in chapter 1, verse 20, and I'd like you to just look on the screen. You don't have to turn it necessarily, but go to this verse. Here's Colossians 1, 20. Paul says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So just look at that verse and you'll notice two things. Number one, the peace that Paul's talking about here is a cosmic reality. It's not an inner subjective feeling. It's more than just how I personally feel. It's something that Jesus has created in the cosmos, both in our relationships with God and in our relationships with others. And notice how costly it was. This peace cost Jesus everything. It's priceless. He paid for it. 
with his blood. And so if a person were actively causing division in the body of Christ, that person would be against the work of the blood of Jesus, which is not something a person would want to do. I wouldn't want to stand before Jesus someday and have to give an account for being a person who was at work in the body against the blood of Christ. Now, let me take a moment to tell you something that Paul's not saying here, okay? Listen really carefully to what I'm about to say. Paul is not talking about conflict that is the result of truth-telling. So he's, he's not talking about when, when, when the truth of Christ is, is somehow spoken into a setting and that creates conflict in that place. Paul... Paul is not talking about that as an, as an obstruction of peace. The truth of Christ can never harm the peace of Christ, right? And Paul would regularly write things in his letters or say things in the context of community that would make people uncomfortable, that would make them feel convicted, that would make them feel disrupted and create conflict. But that was not an enemy of the peace of Christ. That was Paul bringing the truth of Christ to bear on that community, which is really important, really important. And not only that, Jesus, even more important, Jesus would often say things that, that would create conflict because he knew the truth of the gospel needed to penetrate human hearts, knowing that will ultimately create real and true peace. But, and here's where this can apply to you, there will be times when you will be in fellowship in, in the body of Christ. You'll be in your community group or you'll be in a conversation with someone and you'll realize, whoa, we we have a really big difference of opinion about something. We're seeing this in a very different way. Maybe it's something that's happening socially or in our world or something political. And, and, you'll, and you'll be in conversation and you'll know, but this person is my sister in Christ or my brother in Christ. And yet we have some differences of opinion. And here's, what, here's what's happening today in our culture. What's happening today is when, when you experience that, you'll be tempted to pull away. To, to distance yourself from that community. And part of the reason for that is that's how we are being trained right now. We're, we're being trained in such a way where if we ever experience differences of opinions about low-level things, we immediately want to break off fellowship. And Paul says, wait a minute, don't do that in the body of Christ, though. Be, and here's why. Let the peace of Christ rule over all that stuff. You realize we have a difference of opinion. That's okay. There's a higher truth that holds us together. It's the peace that Jesus bought with his precious blood. Can I get an amen to that, please? Can I, can I tell you something? If the church in America begins to divide over low-level things, will that be a witness to the watching world about the power of the gospel? No. Do you know what makes 
the church demonstrate the power of the gospel is when people in the body of Christ remain united together, even when they have differences of opinion about other things. Now the world looks into that and thinks, so only something miraculous could create that kind of community. I can find community in the world where people are divisive and they're, and they're, and they're united around low-level things, but I can never find a community where people have vast differences of opinion about all kinds of things, and yet somehow they're united together by something higher, more powerful, more transcendent, more authoritative. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I love it. Number three, verse 16. Be filled with the word of Christ. We just look at verse 16 with me and I want to point out something so profound about this verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul says, he almost speaks of the word of Christ as if it's a, a living, active member of your community. Isn't that interesting? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's this idea of like, the, the word of Christ is a member of our church family who's here dwelling among us. I love that. So when Paul talks about the word of Christ, Paul's not talking about, um, when he, he talks about the word of Christ, he's talking about the gospel of Christ, the message about Christ. And Paul would say the message of Christ is alive and active and, it's, and it needs to be constantly dwelling in your midst. It's not just passing through. The word of Christ is not there every once in a while. It's not like an out of town guest staying for a couple days. Don't think of the word of Christ like your college kid who just comes home to wash laundry and eat your food or something. The word of Christ is dwelling richly among you every time you gather. I love this. And Paul would say, well, how do you do this? How does the church do? How do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Paul says, there's two things. What we say and what we sing. Isn't that interesting? What we say and what we sing. So first he says, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. This is really fascinating. Paul seems to be saying, he seems to be describing community in the church where the individual members of that community are constantly encouraging one another with gospel truth. So the truth of the gospel is not only coming out of the pulpit or coming from a, a community group leader or a river leader or Pastor Marianne as she teaches. It's, co it's coming from you through your mouth to another member of the community. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. I love this. But it means you have a part to play. I couldn't say it better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a book on community called Life Together, and here's how he talked about this verse. 
He said, God has put his word into the mouth of a Christian in order that it may be communicated to another Christian. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. Have you ever experienced that? You're reading the word or you hear a message and your heart is struck by that word and then you enter into a conversation with someone and you realize this is exactly what this brother or sister needs to hear and God prompts your heart and you speak that gospel word to them. It's so powerful. Paul, he goes on, he says, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother or sister in the mouth of another Christian. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again. And Bonhoeffer goes on to say, there will be times when you'll get discouraged. There will be times when you will, your self-talk will get really negative. There will be times when you'll feel condemnation that's not coming from Christ and you'll be processing that with another brother or sister in Christ and that brother or sister says, wait a minute, I need to speak gospel truth to you right now. You need to hear the truth of Christ. But I love it because Paul says, when you do that, do it in all wisdom. Did you see that? Verse 16, he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I've thought so many times about my friendship with, with Pastor Marianne and how wise she is. And we meet regularly, and I cannot tell you the number of times we've had conversations where, where, where Pastor Marianne will just speak gospel truth to me in a moment. You know, so awesome, so awesome. And what I want to ask is, how about you? You think, yeah, that's for someone else. That, that's, that's for the community. No, no, no. Paul's saying every member of the body of Christ, teaching, admonishing one another, the power of that in the community. What we say, but also what we sing. Look at this. So Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Isn't that interesting? Paul's saying, here's how the word of Christ dwells in you richly. It's what you say to one another, yes, but it's also what you sing to one another. So this is really fascinating because Paul is saying when we worship, there's a vertical element to our worship. We're singing to God and we're we're expressing gratitude to God for grace, but there's also a horizontal aspect to our worship. That as we sing, as we express thanksgiving to God, we're also sending out that gospel truth out into the community. And there are people who are in this room being impacted by what's happening in that moment. Your worship is Directed to God, yes, and directed to your brother or sister sitting next to you. Because you have no idea what they're carrying as they come in. Maybe they come in and they're carrying shame. And then as you sing and worship with all of your heart, you speak a word of grace and, it, and, it, and they hear it and it impacts them and they leave with a renewed sense of God's goodness. I remember Sunday when I was sitting out there and I'd come into worship and I was experiencing some guilt in my life for sin. 
and my heart was down. And Pastor Colin led us in how deep the Father's love for us. And I was sitting right in front of a family, and the family had a couple of young, young girls in the family. They were elementary school. And one of these girls was just singing at the top of her lungs, just singing. And we got to that, it was my sin that held him there. And she was just singing that so loud, until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And I heard the voice of an angel behind me saying that, and I just started to weep. I needed to hear that. And someone has come into the gathering who needs to hear you sing with all of your heart. I'm so thankful for Pastor Colin, the way he chooses Songs, you know, that's why it matters what we sing here. Because we're encouraging one another with gospel truth. So we choose songs that are, that are theologically precise because they shape us in our hearts. Amen? It matters what we sing. It matters. Put on the attributes of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule. Be filled with the word of Christ. And then lastly, and I'll only take a moment on this, but Paul says, lift up the name of Christ. We look at verse 17. This is like, this is like our litmus for everything we do. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, Paul would say, the ultimate goal is to bring as much glory to Jesus as you possibly can. So lest you make creating community your ultimate goal, creating community matters, but it's less important than giving glory to Jesus. The purpose of this church family is to lift up the name of Jesus, to bring as much glory to Jesus as we possibly can. That is our litmus for everything we do and everything we say. If what we're doing in a ministry or in a, in a moment, in a worship service, in a, in a preaching moment, if it's not bringing glory to Jesus, it doesn't pass through and we, we, we don't do it. That's true of your life individually, but Paul's talking to the community of Christ. And I love that. And that, that's sort of the perfect setup for where we're going next week, because next week we're going we're gonna to talk about our, our focus on the world. We're building a community of Christ for the world. We want to lift up the name of Jesus and everything we do as a community. We want it to be Christ-centered so that as we, as we enter into our world, we bring the blessing of Jesus there. So come back next Sunday for that. But here's what we're going to do now. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And, and we're going to do a couple things here. And this will be an opportunity for you to apply the message that you've heard. So first of all, we're going to worship. We're going to sing. And as we worship and as we sing, remember, our worship is directed to God and it's directed to one another. We're here to encourage one another. And as we worship, you might, you might reflect on that list of traits, humility, kindness, compassion, and just ask the question, how am I dressed? Is there anything, God, I need to 
repent of or anyone I need to forgive? Do I need to go to someone and ask for forgiveness right now? Just ask the Spirit to speak to you. Will you do this? Will you stand with me? And let's prepare our hearts for worship. I'll say a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for this time together. How we thank you for your word. How we thank you for the vision of community that you give us. We want to be builders together, the body of Christ. Will you help us, Jesus, to to continue to build this beautiful Christ-centered community that is River West, we pray. May it be a light to our world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We love you, Father. We pray these things together. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Let's worship together.